Hello and welcome to the Business of Sport podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Today we're going to speak to one of the men hoping to be the next president of FC Barcelona, Victor Font. Victor is a successful businessman and is also the former associate of his rival presidential candidate, Joan Laporta. And Victor sat down with The Athletic's Matt Slater to sell us his vision for the club and why he thinks he should be the man to lead Barca back to the summit of European and world football. After we've heard from Victor, we'll talk to The Athletic's Spanish football correspondent Dermot Corrigan to unpick the interview and assess the overall picture in the race for the Barcelona presidency. So here is Matt talking to Victor Font. So, Victor, thanks so much for joining us. I know you're a very busy man. I hope you've done your Christmas shopping. But the election is January 24th, right? That is correct. Obviously, COVID permitting. Okay. So, look, just for non-Barca fans, non-La Liga experts, just explain to me a little bit how, first of all, the election process and why Barcelona has elections some of the background and how that works. Because we are a unique club. Uh, Obviously, the ownership of the club sits with its members. Uh, We have uh, now 150,000 people uh, that are members. And being member, it's just, uh, you know, paying uh, a yearly uh, fee and and you are a member. Obviously, there are some conditions for you to be uh, eligible, but uh, it's pretty open, especially if you have relatives that are members already. And then every based Uh, on the current uh, rules of the game, every six years, uh, members elect the board and its president, who are the responsibles to represent the ownership uh, of the club and to basically govern the club and make uh, all decisions. Obviously, this is a very unique situation because the board is mandated to manage uh, a club without the club being theirs. Uh, So it's pretty phenomenal type of situation, right? And uh, from a process perspective, any member that has uh, at least five years of uh, tenure as a member can basically become a candidate uh, and to basically try to assemble and put together uh, a board. Obviously, if you win the elections, one of the big restrictions which uh, sometimes prevents people uh, to run is that you need to put bank guarantees that equal 15% of the budget. Uh, so we are talking about over 100 million euro of bank guarantees. But still, uh, interestingly enough, since you do not need to prove any, uh, anything uh, until you win, there's many or there's several uh, people that just, you know, want exposure. They basically raise their hand and say, look, I want to become president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they get media attention. And that makes the whole process uh, quite cumbersome. Uh, yeah. We need to change this because it, it doesn't make much sense. Now we have yeah, yeah. given, I mean, the club is in a very difficult situation economically, uh, from a sporting situation institutionally. And still there's nine people running for president, which doesn't make much sense. Well, I mean, that sounds remarkable. I mean, we often talk about fan ownership in our country and this sort of this element of fantasy football. And yet Barcelona... It's one of the trends, right? I mean, fan fan ownership now. There's, uh, I actually uh, participate in a football-controlled fan type of uh, venture in the US. Uh, So it's, it's certainly a trend. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Well, it's, it's fascinating that Barcelona prove you can do it. I'm also intrigued by that idea that uh, everyone puts their hand up because they want the publicity. In some ways, that sounds like football that we're used to here. Whenever there's a club for sale, you get what we yeah. call tire kickers, time wasters, 
who, who, who runs, uh, who say, I, oh, I can afford a football club. And then you find out at the last minute, they actually can't. Right. But clearly, you've, you've mentioned that there is this way of sorting out people at the end when they actually have to provide money. Explain yeah, a little bit about it, yourself then. There is, an, there, there is an, even an, uh, another step, which uh, is that, so for example, now tomorrow, uh, we are a month away from elections, and now tomorrow uh, we uh, there is a, a process that starts to collect support from other members, and only those candidates that get at least twenty five hundred more or less twenty five hundred supports from other members uh, go to the final stage. So out of the nine candidates we have now, most likely half or maybe even more will fall because they will not get enough support from members because at the end members only support those candidates that seem right. more or less serious. Yeah, excellent. So it's a, a short list, if you like. Right. That's really interesting. So, well, let's explain a little bit about yourself then. I mean, you, you know, you're, if you can produce bank guarantees to that amount of money, you're clearly a successful man. Fixer, how, how, you know, who are you? How did you, how did you reach this, this position in life? Well, actually, this, this obviously, I'm pursuing uh, a bit uh, the dream of my life, right? But as you were saying, because of uh, the rules of the game, uh, this dream was completely impossible 15 years ago when I started my own company uh, called Delta Partners. Uh, I still run it, uh, although now we belong to an American group. Uh, it's a strategy consulting and investment banking boutique uh, that operates in the TMT space, telecoms, media technology. And uh, we've built it over the last 15 years. Uh, we've uh, successfully grown it uh, internationally, uh, competing with uh, the big strategy consulting firms and investment banks. So uh, that's what's given uh, me the possibility to have some uh, of this freedom, because obviously I don't need to put the bank guarantee myself on my own, otherwise I would not be able to do that. Mm, yeah. uh, but together with the other board members, uh, obviously we, we have to do it uh, collectively. So obviously without uh, me having such financial independence, uh, this situation would not be possible. So that's why. So we've explained, we've explained the situation, we've explained how it works. We've explained a little bit about who you are. What's your manifesto? What? Why should I? If I had a card and if I could vote in this election, I I can't unfortunately. Why you? Because we are in a new era and we know it, right? I mean, twenty first century. The world has changed. The world has changed across all activities and industries. Also, the industry of football and sports. You you guys know it better than than me even. Uh, how technology has disrupted many industries, how it has changed the habits of consuming entertainment. And therefore, if you want to, you know, continue being a club owned by its members and you want to continue competing uh, with, uh, you know, wealthy clubs, uh, with, you need, you know, you need a, a team, uh, you need a board that has the vision and that has the ideas and the capacity and the experience to manage a club in this new context. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, like the football we've seen in the last couple of decades where, you know, a chairman uh, without any know-how about, you know, the world of technology or about any know-how about the world of football would run a club and would make signings just as if it was a hobby. Uh, and that's been a bit the model until now. We need to change that model. We need, uh, you know, to 
create the conditions to bring the right talent to the club. Uh, in our view, the sports organization needs to be fully empowered to make all decisions about signings and so on. And we want to have the best professionals there and not uh, a non-professional board, you know, which is, uh, you know, using this a bit, as I said, as a hobby. That doesn't work. That has high, uh, big risks. And that's why we want to change uh, these. And we've been working over the last few years to assemble uh, such a, a, a talented team to be able to face the challenges ahead. Well, that's, I mean, that sounds, sounds very sensible. You know, getting the right people in the right jobs, taking a very sort of business approach to the business side of things. But based on how the, the model works now at FC Barcelona, that's not the case, right? Okay. I mean, at the board that Barca has had over the last few years, and it's business people, but uh, there's no one that knows about sports. There's very few people that knows about technology. There's very few people that knows about content in the areas of activity where football clubs today need to generate uh, business and need to, to generate revenue to be able to, to keep on being competitive. Well, just on that, I mean, that's what I was going to ask, really. I'm just going to be devil's advocate here, Victor. I mean, it, it was only last January that I was reading in the Deloitte money list Barcelona had reached the top spot for the first time. Their commercial revenues were flying. They appeared to have a fantastic merchandising operation. I can certainly tell you that here, I see young people in, in Barcelona shirts. That, that wasn't the case, I can assure you. Ten, well, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it certainly wasn't the case when I was a youngster. So Barcelona is doing something right. You've also had lots of success on the pitch over the last decade. That, that, comes, that comes and goes. I mean, no one can win every time. Is, is is Barcelona that bad? You said it was in trouble. Is it is it is it so bad? Yeah, but everything you said is right, and it's obviously thanks to the fact that we've had, we continue to have, even parts of it, the best generation the the world of football has ever seen, with Messi uh, obviously taking the lead, uh, but with uh, players like Xavi, Iniesta, Piqué, uh, Busquets, uh, Puyol, Valdés. I mean. Uh, it's been a, a one-in-a-lifetime type of generation, right? That has allowed us to be the most successful team in the last uh, probably 15 years. Very competitive, uh, you know, group of uh, of players, uh, and that obviously has helped grow the club, uh, grow uh, its uh, uh, awareness and, and and followers and fans fan base uh, globally. And, and it is true that we've managed to continue growing uh, its uh, revenues. Uh, and we've been the, you know, the, the leading uh, club uh, from a revenue perspective, but you know, the cost structure has increased equally fast or even more. Uh, and with close to a billion dollars of revenue, we have had in the last couple of seasons to do a last minute exchange of players so that from an accounting perspective, we could book some profits and uh, make the PNL uh, not loss making, and to be on the on the not to be on the on the red numbers. Uh, and obviously, the fact that this generation has been there, it means that you need to properly plan for a transition uh, whenever this generation is over. Um, and uh, and therefore, both economically and from a sporting uh, position, uh, rather than just you know relying on the successes in the short term, you need to plan for the future. And that's what has not happened. I mean, that's fair enough. And I was, I was reading also that um, Spain, I mean, again, I think this might be something that many British and American football fans won't understand. That La Liga has this pretty remarkable, in my view, 
salary cap management system where you get bespoke club specific budgets and Barcelona's is pretty tough as we head into a January transfer window. Barcelona got really hammered. Everyone's got a cut, but but Barcelona's got the biggest cut. I mean, what does that look like for a club that is clearly in transition? Yeah, and we have this uh, obviously very complex situation where we've had revenues drop dramatically due to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But that combined with the fact that our salary, very significant inflation over the last few years, and our uh, wages for the first team basically have been the most expensive in the world of football uh, globally. Obviously, we have Messi, who deserves to be paid uh, better than anyone else, but other players have just banked on that situation and have asked for salary increases. And that has put the whole wages of the, um, of the first team at a level which is unsustainable. Over 600 million euros, that's the cost of the first team, uh, wow. which is close to 200 million more than, than the top teams in Europe. And that's unsustainable, right? Okay, well, I mean, look, one of the big, big, big issues, of course, is Messi. I mean, we've mentioned him a few times already. How important is holding on to Messi to your strategy? Critical, critical. Critical both in the short term, because he continues to be the best player in the world, uh, but also in the mid to long run, right? I mean, the association between Messi and Barca, Barca and Messi is strategic. And we need to do everything we can to ensure that this association remains because strategically and commercially, it's also very important for the club. Look, another really, really important figure who I know is, is hugely integral to your campaign is, is, is really part of your pitch, is Xavi. Someone that yeah. you know every football fan will remember. He, of course, has been working in Qatar and appears to be committed to Qatar until after the World Cup. No, that's... that's, that's no, uh, this, this is a headline. That's a headline, yeah, because he, he basically, he's an ambassador to, to the Qatar uh, uh, World Cup, and obviously he will continue to support that effort uh, until the World Cup. But this doesn't mean that he is committed to staying and working uh, and coaching in Qatar until then, uh, actually. And it is public that he has a clause in his contract that if Barca needs him, uh, he can freely walk away uh, from his current duties. And I saw that you are willing to buy everyone's season ticket if you can't <laughs> yeah, deliver that, him. <laughs> that that was yesterday in a oh. in a in a show. Uh, you know the uh, the journalist said, "Oh, but because Florentino, uh, the president of Real Madrid, did something similar uh, many years ago when he promised to bring Figo, who was the star at FC Barcelona." So he asked me, "Oh, and, and uh, you know, similarly to what Florentino did." If he, if uh, if you were to be, you know, to if if I would ask you whether you would commit uh, to pay uh, for the, you know, for the the, the members tickets uh, for next year, would that uh, be something that you would do? Uh, if uh, he, if you win the elections and Xavi doesn't come, I said yes, of course. Uh, but I said so not because that's. Uh, a promise that I want to make uh, proactively, but it's just to to show to every fan that uh, that this uh, you know that the fact that uh, there is this commitment, it's a verbal commitment because obviously Chabi belongs to the club and does not belong to us. Uh, but w- the, the, what what belongs to us is the fact 
that we've been working alongside uh, Xavi and other uh, people to really build the proper sports organization for the near future. So we talked about Xavi, holding on to Messi is important. I'm going to ask you for, for one business so because this is the business of sport podcast one exactly one business idea one change you're going to bring because i'm i'm fascinated by barcelona's business model i i saw the other day that is it right that it's the biggest museum in 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 catalonia one of the third or fourth biggest tourist attractions in spain of course that's shut at the moment it is what 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 can you do to boost Barcelona's revenues? Basically to develop the B2C part of the, of the, of the business. Uh, football clubs historically have been a very B2B business type of business. That's why despite, you know, clubs have been growing their revenues, the reality is that even clubs like Barcelona are still medium-sized companies. I mean, one billion for a brand like FC Barcelona is nothing. And, the rea- and this is because clubs uh, have not been uh, focused on building a B2C business. Uh, we have uh, millions, hundreds of millions of fans all over the world targeting uh, them directly, selling products and services directly, be it content, be it merchandising, you know, playing in the gaming uh, field. That's where the opportunity sits uh, in order to really grow again and increase revenues and become, from a business perspective, a true multinational. Final question. One thing I noticed you didn't say is a European Super League. So you will not be taking Barcelona off into some private little league where you get to play Man City and Bayern and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, we are very much in favour of making sure that the top uh, European uh, competition improves uh, and that we see more top games with top teams. Uh, We don't want to wait another seven years to go back to Anfield and be able to play Liverpool. We want that to happen earlier, but we also believe that killing uh, national competitions uh, is not the right thing because at the end for the whole ecosystem, for the whole football ecosystem, it is important that national leagues also work. Maybe with less teams, with less games so that you can have you know, uh, a stronger European competition, but making sure that uh, the, the competitions coexist. Well, your phone's going crazy. I know you're a busy man. Victor, lovely talking to you. Happy Christmas and best of luck. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you very much. Take care. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, the host of a special episode of Giant produced by The Athletic. It's the story of Chester City's American dream, a dream that turned into a nightmare. This is Terry Smith. He's coached teams to honours in England, Europe and the United States. One of football's most celebrated coaches. American football, that is. Now he wants to conquer another sport. I think I've probably got, uh, you know, more years of coaching experience than just about anyone. Not in soccer. No, not in soccer. Search for Giant on Spotify to listen to the full episode. Well, that was Victor Font, who, you know, for for much of the last few months has been the front runner, I guess, or certainly one of the front runners to become the next president of Barcelona. Busy man, interesting guy, very successful bloke. Let's have a little kind of chat about some of that interview, sort of pick out the key lines. Who better to talk to than our Spanish football expert, Dermot Corrigan, who has spoken to Victor in the past and, and you know knows all about his project. 
Dermot, you've you've listened to that. What what did you make of it? What was the sort of kind of key message for you? I thought it was excellent uh, interview with, with Victor and really captured a lot of his personality. Like he is a guy who is super prepared to become Barcelona president. He spent a long time going back two three years. He's been talking about what he would do as Barca president. And as you mentioned there, I spoke to him before, and at that time he was telling me about how. You know, Barca needs really prepared people in different roles in the club, not not people who are appointed by their friend because they're a director mm-hmm. or not somebody who's who comes in because they can bring a sponsor or whatever it is, but people who have spent their lives or a lot of their careers preparing for the job they would do in Barca. And he has he has done a lot of that. He's spoken to to everybody really around Barca. He's a he's a very intelligent guy, very prepared, does his homework, and, and I think that came across in the interview very well. I, don't mean, I, I said he was front runner. I mean, is he? Am I right? I mean, what, what's what's the latest sort of state of play? It's very difficult to know because. Like Barca's, um, it's the socios, the, the, the members of the club, the season ticket holders of the club who are going to to decide. And in going back through club history, again, I've spoken to people about this, that there's often a surprise because it's it's difficult to know what they are thinking or each person has their own kind of ideas. And it's very different than the, the mood that you would see on Twitter or even in mm-hmm. the, the sports press or, or even speaking to coaches or players and um, managers agents sometimes they wouldn't be on the same wavelength as as your ordinary fan kind of so it can be difficult to say but but uh, the best that we can do is that there are two front runners there's Victor Font and, and there's Laporta who was the Juan Laporta who's Barca president before when Pep Guardiola was coach and when they won the treble and they're two they're two kind of similar in a way in that they both come from a same the same part of Barca's history they both want to follow the ideas of Johan Cruyff of of Guardiola and that's why Xavi as well is so important to to Font to be kind of within that that idea of Barca that comes from La Masia that is Mescaon club that they always say that you know Mm -hmm. there's something very special about Barcelona. Do they ever do any polling in the Catalan press? I mean I know everyone knows that Barca is this amazing institution in Catalonia I mean how, how serious do these presidential elections get? I haven't seen any polls. I, I would imagine that the campaigns themselves work very hard and try to speak to the, they have the Peñas, which are the supporters groups. So there will be leaders of the different supporters groups in different areas of Catalonia or people who will be associated with different uh, offices of the supporters club within the city. But I don't know of any particular numbers. As, as well as those two guys, the traditionally kind of the people who, the former president or the people close to the former president have an advantage in the election in that they are, you know, they've been working with these supporters yeah, groups for, for the previous five years. This year, it's more difficult because Bartomeu, when he stepped down, was so unpopular. But there is still a, a core of, of Barca fans who maybe feel that he was let down, who would have even taken his side over Messi during the summer and felt that Messi had, had gone too far and betrayed the club. So there could be a, a little bit of a backlash again amongst maybe more conservative club members who would go against Fonte and Laporta. So maybe another candidate more associated with the previous board might come out. Um, Tony Freixa is, is one guy who was on the board before. Emily Rousseau is another. These guys don't get as much press. They're not as, as high-profile figures maybe outside of, of Catalonia, outside of the socios, but, but they will... The sources themselves will know them well. That's one thing. I mean, since you mentioned the kind of um, advantage that incumbents have and that there might be this idea that he's just unlucky or that Bartomeu and that regime were unlucky. I mean, I did put that to Font, you know, in a sort of devil's advocate type question that that you're looking from the outside in, you know, Barcelona are not a club in crisis. They're one of the best clubs in the world. It was only in January of, of this year still that Deloitte had them top of their rich list in terms of their their income. I think it was the first time they'd top that list. 
they were absolutely coining it in. I think sort of a billion dollars in revenue, certainly, you know, pretty close. Borrowed heavily from the Manchester United model. Really, really fantastic merchandising sort of commercial uh, operation. And they're a pretty good team. But look, nothing lasts forever, right? You know, they, they can't win every year. So yeah. so is it, are they really in crisis? I would go along with, with Victor's with his answer there that a lot of how Barca got to be at this, the level that they have been over the last five or six years and commercially as well is because of the amazing generation that they had starting off with, with Puyol and, and Xavi and Iniesta and still guys there like like Messi and obviously the most importantly and Busquets and Piquet like they've been able to sell an awful lot of jerseys just based around that team mm. that they had there have been a lot of changes at the club and um, on a commercial level they took their merchandising in-house for a while um, now, I'm not an expert to see whether that made sense or not, but they've signed different deals with Qatar, deals with, with Nike as well. And Victor Font, I think, is on record as saying that, you know, he uh, questioning some of those deals and saying that they could have got better value and that it wasn't been run quite as well as it could be, considering the product that they had, which was this amazing team, both, you know, playing really good football, but also just the idea of Barcelona, that masculine club, Catalonia, everything that goes along with the the brand, I guess, of Barca is means that you you're going to make a lot of money, kind of yeah. no matter what, um, and it could be done a lot better. Is is their argument? Again, being devil's advocate here, could we not just trace this all back to selling Neymar? Was that yeah. was that was that not just this catastrophic decision that that has got them to where they're at now? Which, relatively speaking, is a crisis. Yeah, I, and I go as far back even to say that signing Neymar and everything that, everything that has to do with Neymar. At Barca, <laughs> off the off the pitch has been a disaster. He was a really good good player for them. That 2015 team with him and Messi and Suarez when they terrorised everybody. Historically good team, and he is a you know he gets a lot of hassle and um, maybe for his behaviour or his attitude or whatever. But I you know in Spain or I definitely see him as one of the best players in the world for sure. But you know going back to the when they signed him, the payments that were made to, to Neymar's father, Barcelona themselves, the club ended up pleading guilty to you know a, a crime in, in the Spanish court system, had to pay a fine, had to pay extra taxes, it ended up costing them a lot of money. Then it, it, it led to a rift within the club as well. It, you know, it's difficult to get into here, but there were pro-Neymar people on the board, anti-Neymar people. Then when he was sold, the way that they wasted the money that, that was spent on Coutinho and and Griezmann and Dembele, who maybe less Griezmann, but Dembele and Coutinho the following year. Yeah. And you know you could argue about their merits as players, but they just haven't worked out at all for Barca. And it, they've wasted so much money on, on those. And everything kind of to do with Neymar now is like a, a black mark. But it, it's weird. Like there's still candidates who say that you know they want to sign Neymar back, and a lot of people in the Barca dressing room would take him back. You know whether the money is there to do it or not. Well, the mm. money's just not there to do it at the moment. But he still he just hangs over everything. It, the club and now they're playing them again in the Champions League exactly. you know, a couple of weeks after the election so it's it's all you know exciting interesting great stuff to yeah. cover well pro anti Neymar camps it sounds like my household um I mean you mentioned that point about look, if they wanted to sell him uh, buy him back could they and and this sort of issue they have around their wage bill and and, and I got into that a little bit with Victor you know it's one thing to sort of big up their revenue which is pretty impressive could it be more yeah, arguable. I guess if Victor gets in, he'll he'll have an opportunity to sort of prove or disprove that point. But one thing that you 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 cannot argue with really is is their wage bill, which is which is which is astronomical. And I guess if you have Messi, fair enough, you got to pay him a lot. But it was pretty clear that that, that Victor feels that some of the other players in the team have almost kind of taken advantage of that, and they've all been sort of dragged upwards unnecessarily. And they they you know they they just they, they don't deserve the money that. Even a percentage of the money that, that, that Messi earns. Is, is that 
a widely held view among Barca fans? Yeah, it's something that we've reported on on The Athletic and have spoken to people around the dressing room who have confirmed it to us that it over the over the years it was possible when Bartomeu was president as well. It was a, a funny headline that used to be in the Catalan press a lot, of, which was like, Bartomeu takes the reins. And there'd be, uh-huh. say, Busquets or even Iniesta or Rakitic, these guys who were Luis Suarez as well, coming towards 30. And, you know, Busquets would be linked with Man City or Rakitic would be linked with, with Juventus or whoever it was. And then, you know, it'd be rumours in the press that they were going to go. They'd come out and say, well, you know, I love Barca, but, you know, in football, you never know. Then the headline would come, Bartomeu takes the reins. He would intervene personally. They'd sign a new contract for, you know, like Suarez was on 18 million euros, something. So uh, I'd have to wow. check that figure. But, you know, like Suarez earns a, earned at Barca a lot more money than Karim Benzema earns at Madrid. Karim Benzema does very well at Madrid, for sure. But when Ronaldo um, was agitating for more money, Sergio Ramos is in that position as well at the moment at, at Madrid. Florentino Perez is also in full control. You know, he's has a very tight hold of the reins at, at Real Madrid, but their their wages have not gone out of control the way that, that it has at Barca. And again, yeah. Victor Font would argue, and so would other presidential candidates, that it came from the, the board, that they weren't able to make a judgment based on how much should we pay this player based on how good he's going to be for the next five years, that those judgments were were not very well made. Well, that's very interesting. I mean, I, when you were saying taking the reins, it made me think of Boris Johnson taking personal control of everything and thinking, oh my word. But I guess that's what the, the point Font was making as well about this, this sort of sense that fans have been running the club, you know, in an almost sort of pejorative sense that you want some kind of professional uh, people there, people, you know, the right people in the right jobs. And and I guess one of the those people that he is talking about, or certainly he's um, uh, he, he's dropping quite heavy hints, including one to us just now, it, it, it is about Xavi and, and this idea that he can deliver Xavi. I mean, what, what is that true? Is, is, is that the sort of thing that's going to sway this election? It's definitely true that, that Xavi has been very close to Victor Font and they've had public conversations, or Xavi has spoken about how he likes Victor Font as a, as a person, he likes his ideas f- for the club. And, He's never gone as far to, as to endorse him and say that I would vote for Victor Font and I want Victor Font to, to be the next president. And he hasn't said that, you know, if Victor Font becomes president, I'll be back on the next plane from Qatar to, to take over at the camp. Now, now it, it's definitely in Font's interests to have Xavi as in his camp, in his campaign literature and to, to speak about Xavi. And it's definitely true that the two get on well. But there's there's also a feeling that Javi knows, and and also you know people like Puyol and and Jordi Cruyff as well, and Iniesta that at some stage they'll be back at Barca, and they can almost name their their time to come back. Javi's very committed to what his work that he's doing as the ambassador for the Qatar World Cup in 2022, the the work that he's doing coaching a lot of the players who will play for that team for Qatar as well. So he's put a lot of his life, you know, he's. Uh, 2016, 2015 wasn't when he went to Qatar. He's been there for a long time. Mm. So the idea that Victor Font wins the election on January 24th and Javi's back in in Barcelona on January 25th, I, I don't think is going to happen. We we don't know, and you know, Victor himself obviously knows more of what Javi their private conversations than I do. But you can't. Nobody said for sure that it will happen. So so we just don't know. I must admit, I, f- I find this whole Javi thing in in Qatar just bizarre. I I went to Qatar. I think it was at the end of last year for a piece with The Athletic. And I, I went along to, I think it was a triple header. It was one of their cup competitions and he was he coaches one of the teams. 
and I just walked in. No one was selling tickets because they didn't think anyone would come to this. There were at least, in the first game I watched, I think there were five former Premier League players playing. None of them any good. Well, yeah, not, none of them you know, particularly famous. I remember counting the number of people there who weren't, if you like, employed to be there. I think it was 20 dotted around this 14,000, 15,000 sort of open bowl sort of stadium. It wasn't one of their kind of main, it was it wasn't one of their World Cup stadiums. Now, as the kind of triple header progressed, they didn't hang around for the third game. The second game maybe got up to about 50 people. And Xavi was there. I think he was actually, I think his team was playing the third game. So they didn't really hang around for his game. But look, there was, there was going to be, you know, no more than, no, no more than 100 people in this stadium. And I just thought, you know, your, your peer group of players who are now progressing into management, you know, Perlo and Lampard or Gerard, whoever it might be, you know, look at, you know, what, look, the Qatar World Cup's still a long way off. You're going to be pretty bored on the, I know everyone talks about projects, but this is, you know, my, what are you doing? So I must admit when, when Font said that to me, it did make sense. Although I know that he is a very enthusiastic ambassador for Qatar. Wasn't he, wasn't he writing a, an open letter to the good people of Spain recently? Yeah, there was a, a letter in, in Marca last week and it's not the, it's not the first time that Xavi has spoken about Qatar in the Spanish press by, by far. He, he does it quite regularly. But last week's letter was about was to mark the Qatar National Day, I think, and also a stadium which is going to host some games at the World Cup had just been completed and they were going to play a, a, a Qatar Cup final in, in the stadium. And he spoke about how he loves life in Qatar, that it's a great place to raise a family. There's not very much crime. You know, all the type of things that an ambassador who's a brand ambassador for a company or for a country or, or whatever will say. But it, it's not, it, it's clear that it's his job is to promote Qatar. He's getting well paid for it and he seems to be happy there and his family are happy there. They're going to great schools and, you know, he's talking about how it's always sunny there and different things. <laughs> but but we know, you know, and, you know, from some of your reporting as well, Mara, and we know that the situation in Qatar is not quite as, as fairytale-like as as Javi sells it, so he's he's there to to, to do a job, and I, I guess fair use him for doing that. But how long he stays there, or I think they will be very disappointed were he to to decide tomorrow he's going to come back and come to Barcelona. And um, I'm sure there are, there are contracts involved and, and promises involved and that as well. Javi also has a obviously has a really tight connection to Catalonia and, and to Barcelona and everything so maybe he has some some torn feelings or, or mixed feelings inside but again it's a it's a, it's a fascinating one to watch and a very mm. complex situation for sure. Well so Xavi might come, Messi might go, I mean Font was pretty unequivocal there wasn't he? Messi must stay. Yeah um, I, I'm sure I was listening very carefully to, to his answer to see what he would say because everybody's having to to be very careful with their words when they're asked about Messi at the moment because it, it's clear that and Victor was saying there about how they need to cut the wage bill that the Barca pay out too much money just can't afford to, to keep the wage bill and Messi is earns more than uh, you know three or four of their other top players put together Messi costs the club more than that and he is now coming up to, to 34 years old and hasn't been the same player still a very good player but he's not the guy who who wins every game on his own the way that he used to do four or five years ago. So a lot of the candidates have said, you know, we want to make sure that Messi re retains his connection to the club and that we don't want to lose Messi and Messi is part of our and he's always welcome here. But they haven't said that Messi will for sure be playing on the pitch for us next season, if, if you know the, the distinction there. And Victor seemed to suggest that he did want to stay. He said that he was still such a very, very good player. Whether Messi himself wants to stay or not is still very much up in the air. People I spoke to for a piece recently on, on Barcelona, on The Athletic, most of them seem to think that he had still made up his mind to go, that nothing had really changed 
it will come down to the new president sitting down w- with Messi and with his father, Jorge, and, and coming to a decision over what will come. But it, that's going to be a really difficult conversation. Maybe a lot depends on how well the team do over the next couple of months. You know, they have some good players. Uh, Pedri is, you know, looks like an amazing talent. Gets on well with Messi in, in midfield. But there's a lot of holes in the team. They're lucky enough to draw it home to Valencia at the weekend. So it's it's a very difficult one. And another person I, I was speaking to for, for another piece that's coming up on the Atlantic was saying that at some stage, one candidate is going to have to come out and say, look, I'd sell Messi. You know, mm-hmm. thanks very much, Messi, for, for everything that you've done for us. You're the best player in the history of the club. We love you. We want you back here, you know, to, to keep you here for as long as you want. You live in Catalonia when you retire and everything, but we just can't pay you 50 million euros ne- next year. You know, the club mm-hmm. just can't afford to do it. So if you want to go somewhere else for a couple of years, earn as much money a- as you like and play wherever it is, hopefully not against us in the Champions <laughs> League, but, um, you know, go and do that. Fair enough. You're welcome yeah. to do it. That's your own decision. But there are a lot of Barca socios, I would say, whether it's, what percentage is difficult, but a sizable percentage of the Barca voters in the election would be happy with that idea. And if one candidate does come out and say it, then they can sweep up a, a big chunk of the votes. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. You know, this sort of almost US idea of, you know, hit the, hit the rebuild button. Guys, we are we are starting from ground zero again. You know, let's, let's, let's cash in our chips and let's, let's think three, four years down the road. I think that would be bold. I mean, you know more about it than I do, but I think that really would be brave. Just as a final thought then, it was the sort of last question that I threw to, to Victor as well, was it was very much sort of Bartomeu's parting shot too about the European Super League. I thought Victor was quite diplomatic, coy, what's the sort of word I'm reaching for? You know, he kind of, he sort of basically said he liked both. You know, he quite likes that league, doesn't want to trash domestic football, which is quite nice to hear. But yeah, but but doesn't want to wait seven years to play Liverpool again. I thought that was an interesting answer. Yeah, for sure. Like that was one of the headlines from the from the interview with Victor, I thought was how, how he sounded a little bit as if he really hoped that all the pressure of the European Super League would put enough pressure on UEFA that they change around the, the current champion League format even more and from from the way he was talking it sounded like it means excluding smaller clubs it means that Barca want to play Liverpool every year or every <laughs> couple of years and there's not going to be room for even maybe Ajax or Atlanta or, or whoever not even not even going so far as as the you know champions of every country so at Spain like Florentino Perez was at the Real Madrid AGM at the weekend and he, he's been a, a backer of European Super League or we've kind of known he was a backer of the European Super League without him actually really coming out and, and being blunt about it. But he was very clear that he said that because of the impact of COVID on the impact on the finances of the biggest clubs, that it's going to bring us towards new competitions, he said, new ideas. And he said that the, the that's what the fans want, that the fans don't want to see Madrid. Well, he didn't say this exactly, but the idea was the fans don't want to see Madrid against Huesca or Madrid against Cadiz every weekend. They want to see Madrid against Liverpool every week as well. And if Madrid are pushing for it, Barcelona are pushing for it as well. It's going to be it's going to be very difficult for UEFA to to get the way out of it. And also, just to to add, La Liga president Javier Tevez came out very strongly immediately after Florentino's comments with a tweet saying that Florentino was misinformed. He didn't know what he was talking about. Mm, and there's a big that. battle kind of looming there that something we you know we're going to have to get into on the Athletic over the next weeks and months because it, it seems to be coming down the line. Just just on that, I mean, I. In his answer, which I've only you know sort of listened to once as he gave it, um, I, I got the impression that he was kind of talking about perhaps reducing the size of La Liga, which of course is a conversation mm-hmm. that they're, they're having at the European Club Association level that really, ideally, we all want to move to 18 teams, which of course would be a big issue here in the UK. 
uh, well, in England, and I think it would be an issue in La Liga too. Is there is there any kind of conversation in Spain that twenty is too many? That that would kind of go along with with kind of what Florentino was saying as well. He was talking about there just being too many games, it just being impossible for the players. And again, you know, being as good politician as Florentino is and taking advantage of the current situation, you know, there, there's not too many games at the moment because there's twenty games in La Liga. There's too many games because of of COVID and. You know, because clubs also play preseason friendlies all over the world to, to, to earn money. International breaks as well is probably another thing that's going to come into it. But there's no... I haven't seen a, a real push in La Liga to, to lower the amount of clubs. And, and Javier Tevez became La Liga president with the backing of the smaller clubs. He, he's never been a guy who, who was closely connected to the elite in Spanish football. He came through as a into Spanish football as somebody who helped out second division clubs in financial difficulty his power base is the the smaller clubs within the Liga, so they're not the people who are going to be voting to to have fewer places in, in the Primera División, I would imagine. So again, mm. it, it's lining up. You can see the battle lines kind of lining up there for the for the future fight to come. Intriguing. There's so much to, so much to go at. So much uh, so much intrigue. I love it. <laughs> well, look, Dermot, thanks so much for joining us. Cheers, man. Feliz Navidad. Have I said that right? Yeah. I think I have. Muchas gracias. All the best to you and stay safe. That was Matt Slater talking to Victor Font and The Athletic's Dermot Corrigan. If you'd like to read Dermot's fascinating in-depth piece about the state of Barcelona in 2020, including loads of detail on everything that's happened this year with Messi and the Champions League calamity, then you can subscribe to The Athletic by heading to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman. And if you sign up now, you'll also get a free subscription, which you can give to someone else as a gift, perfect for a last-minute Christmas present because you haven't got long. We'll be back next week. Merry Christmas.